Good morning, everyone. Welcome once again to Chatham Community Church. My name is Jaime. I'm one of the pastors here. And first, I want to say Happy New Year to all of you. Welcome, welcome to 2024. Uh, Glad we made it. And I want to extend a particularly warm welcome to those of you who are here with us for the first time or the first time in a long time. It's glad to have, it's, it's, I'm glad to have you all here. Uh, for many people, the new year is a time to consider uh, making church a part of your regular experience. And uh, if that's you, welcome. We're glad you're here. We're glad you've decided to check us out this Sunday. I hope on your way in, you received one of our welcome bags. If you didn't, make sure you grab one on the way out. It gives you some information about who we are and what we're about here in Chatham County, uh, and also you get some uh, wonderful gifts from our local community. So when you grab one of those, it helps us support a local business, and the quicker we run out of, the faster we run out of those, the more we can support them. So um, make sure you grab one on your way out. Uh, If you do happen to be new at the end of the service, I'll be uh, just outside the doors, so come say hi on your way out. I'd love to hear your name, maybe a little bit about uh, your story and how you found us and what your uh, experience was like this morning. Uh, Also, just a quick note, because uh, I'm feeling it physically, Uh, the change in weather affects my sinuses, which affects my equilibrium, so if you see me wobble at any moment, I'm aware that that's happening, there's nothing wrong, and uh, I I will catch myself, but uh, in case you notice it, just want to name that that's just a thing because of the change in weather. Um, Here we go. So nearly, uh, it's been nearly 60 years since Mary Poppins was released, and for some reason it remains one of those movies that generation after generation seem to find compelling and seem to find uh, worth loving. Uh, Some of it, I think, has to do with the premise, because the premise of a magical nanny that imparts lessons on children while also taking them on adventures is appealing both to parents and to children, isn't it? Some of it is the songs, Uh, songs like Spoonful of Sugar, Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious, and uh, Chim Chim Cheree are like great, great songs, and they are sticky. Uh, Some of it is the wonderful acting of Julie Andrews in the title role. A lot of the appeal of the movie, I think, has to do with the arc of the narrative. You get a family at the beginning that is not functioning very well, and by the end... After a nanny enters their lives, she's affected how they act and how they relate to one another. And where you started with a family that was a little bit frayed and not really communicating well, not getting along well, you have a family that is transformed into a healthier version of themselves. And that idea that a family could go or a group of people could go from sort of dysfunctional to healthy appeals to us for lots of reasons. For some of us, perhaps it appeals because we would have wanted something like that in our lives when we were growing up. Maybe we wanted that for our families. Some of us might be feeling that we want something like that now. We're struggling to figure out how to bring our families to healthier places, and we wish there was someone who could just fly in on an umbrella and help us out. But I wonder if some of it is also this idea that someone's very presence could radically alter the atmosphere, could radically alter the environment and affect the people who are in that environment or in that atmosphere. I wonder if that's appealing to us because we know deep inside that that's not actually a far-fetched concept. Some of us might be able to name people like that, people who enter into a room or enter into a space and immediately affect the environment, affect how people are interacting, do good in the environment, sometimes not good. 
Maybe you and I have been told at some point that we're the kind of people who, when we come into a room or come into a space or when people talk to us, things change for them. They just feel better. Maybe some of us wish we could be those kind of people, wish we could have that kind of effect. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that we all want to be like Mary Poppins. Uh, I'm not, we're not handy. We have umbrellas out there to hand out if needed, <laughs> but I promise they will not cause you to fly. But what if all of us had the potential to affect the atmosphere and the relationships that we are in for the better? What if all of us had the potential to affect the spaces and relationships we enter for good? In fact, what if we didn't just have the potential? What if we were made to have that kind of effect? Today, we start a series of messages under the title, Spiritual Power in Everyday Places. And the concept we're going to be looking at for the next few weeks under this banner is a concept that's called spiritual authority. And for some of us, the word authority immediately causes us to sort of our hairs to stand on end. So if that's you, just hold on for a bit because throughout the weeks, we're going to be defining and clarifying what this concept means. But for now, here's what, what I want us to know. Spiritual authority is something that Jesus has given all those who follow him, and it is a gift It's a gift that enables us to change the spiritual environments in the places that we live, work, and play, and to change them for good, to change them for the better. Think about the places where you live, you work, and play. Think of the relationships they're in. Don't some of them, if not many of them, need some change for good? Wouldn't they all benefit from some change for good? Well, Jesus has called us and gifted us with the ability to change that, to make those changes, to bring about that good. A sad thing is that many of us don't know about this or don't know how to exercise that spiritual authority well. Many of us have maybe seen spiritual authority exercised poorly. What we hope to do throughout this series is frame this concept appropriately and then walk alongside each other as we exercise it responsibly and for good. Here's the thing I want you to consider. What if in 2024, the hundreds of people across both our campuses and that join us online started to bring about change for good, change in the spiritual environment, and we saw blessings and goodness break out all over this county, break out all over the schools, break out all over the workplaces, break out in every neighborhood, break out in every place of business, break out in every space that people gather. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be a better picture of Chatham County? You and I have the opportunity to be part of that. We're going to start our journey today with one of the early stories that Jesus, uh, of Jesus that alludes to the concept of spiritual authority. And what we're going to see in that story is one of the key components to both understanding and exercising spiritual authority well is deep connection to Jesus. So if you have a Bible, we're going to be in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 3. If you're unfamiliar with the Bible in the New Testament... Uh, which is sort of the last quarter, last third of most of our Bibles, if they have both Testaments. Uh, The the New Testament starts off with four accounts of Jesus' life. Those are what we call the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we'll be in Mark's account in the third chapter. So you can look it up. If you don't happen to have a Bible and would like one, we have some in the back. I'd love to give you one uh, at the end of the service. Come talk to me. We can make that happen. Uh, But for now, we'll also have it on the screen in just a second. So go ahead. We'll be in Mark chapter 3. 
We'll start in verse 13. Here we go. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the 12 he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter. James, son of Zebedee and his brother John, to them he gave the name Boanerges, which means sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who would betray him. Now, for what is believed to have been close to 30 years, Jesus has lived mostly the kind of life that any Jewish man in the first century would have expected to have lived. But things have changed significantly by the time we meet him and pick up the story in this chapter. Jesus has initiated what people have come to call his public ministry. He's been going around the region, going around the area, performing miracles, teaching, and developing a crowd of followers. People have started to gather around him and follow him along. He's got a purpose, and he's got a mission that he's executing. He's there to announce that the kingdom of God has arrived. The kingdom of God is at hand. He's there to make a way, to make a way through his death and resurrection for humanity's relationship to God to be restored for humanity's relationship with one another to be restored, and for humanity's relationship to the world to be made right. He's there bringing life in all its manifestations, in every place that he goes, in every interaction that he has. And he seems to be well on his way to do these kinds of things and to do them well, when suddenly he retreats up to a mountain, and he calls 12 from among the large crowd of followers that were gathered around him. He calls 12 to him, and things seem to have been going quite well, and this seems like an odd move. But what Jesus is doing is he's modeling what has been true of God all throughout history, before Jesus' time, in Jesus' time, and after Jesus' time. God partners with people to bring about his purpose. God could bring about his purposes because he is God. Because he is Lord over heaven and earth. He has all power and all authority. And yet throughout history, through the narratives we have, what we see is that consistently God chooses to partner with people to bring about his purpose. That was true of Jesus and his disciples. It is true today. God is not just partnering with people. God partners with us to bring about his purpose. God partners with you and I to bring about his purpose because you are in the places that you are in and God wants to bring about his purpose in those places because because you are in the relationships that you are in and God wants to bring about his purpose in those relationships and God has you to partner with in those places and in those relationships. Now, there are two ways that this passage talks about this kind of partnership as they are sent out. And it's the kind of partnership that's not just for them, but it's for you and I as well. And if you're there thinking, definitely not for me, hold on, because in a little while we're going to talk about how yes, you, yes, me, yes, all of us. But let's look at the two ways that this partnership is manifested, at least in this passage. The first way that they are sent out, that partnership is manifested, is through preaching. The disciples, after spending time with Jesus, will be sent out to communicate from what they learn from their time with Jesus, from hearing from him, but from also seeing how he interacts with people and how he performs miracles. 
They go out to communicate very clearly that the kingdom of heaven is near, that they've seen the lame walk, the blind see, the oppressed set free. Friends, those messages are powerful. Words are powerful. And the proclamation of those things will have an effect on those that hear them throughout the time of the disciples and beyond. And you and I are called to partner with God in this way as well. God calls us, calls you and I to communicate his good news, the good news of his kingdom in every place, in every situation, in every, in every relationship. Now, we may not be called to preach, all of us, in the way that preaching is understood right now, right? Not all of us may have an opportunity to be in a place like this speaking to a crowd of wonderful people like y'all. But that definition of preaching is far too narrow for what is encapsulated by this idea of communicating the good news. God has used women and men, old and young, adults, children of all ages, to communicate his love throughout history in lots of different ways that have very little to do with what I'm doing here on a Sunday morning. And you and I have opportunities to be part of that in more ways than just this. All of us are called to proclaim the good news. In fact, that's why in our message to us, in our words to us this morning, I avoid using the word preach. Because it's far more than this exercise. It's about communicating the good news in lots of different ways. Think about it for a second. The majority of people, including most of us who have found life in Jesus, have done so because somehow something was communicated to them about the life they could find in him. You are here, and if you are following Jesus, you are following Jesus because somehow, in some way, a message was communicated to you. Maybe a number of messages. Maybe some of it was a sermon. Maybe it was a song that you heard. Maybe it was art that you witnessed. Maybe it was someone's life that you got to see. And you got to see the transformation they experienced or the love of God that they demonstrated, and it compelled you. That was communication. A message was transferred to you. Songs have been sung. Sermons have been preached. Art has been created. Poems have been written. Actions were taken for good and they communicated something. The question, friends, isn't whether or not you and I are sent out to preach or to communicate, but rather how have you and I been sent out in 2024 in Chatham County to communicate his good news to our friends, to our families, to our co-workers, to people known and unknown to us, to classmates, to our, to our community, and to the world. And friends, communicating that good news, speaking the words of what God has done and what is possible when people come to know him changes the spiritual atmosphere. In lots of different ways, but in a very tangible one that I'll share is that in lots of places, communicating the good news of what's possible brings hope to people that don't know there's an alternative. And if you've ever been in a situation or seen a situation where you've been hopeless or seen some people be hopeless, you know the difference it makes when all of a sudden people can grab on to the idea that there's hope. That's just one way. It changes the environment. It changes the environment. 
I had a classmate in high school who was a Christian. I went to a boarding school. It was a small community. All of us lived together on campus. And the way she carried herself, interacted with us, made her the type of person that everyone would sort of go to for advice and sometimes with questions about faith. Uh, Now, she wasn't a perfect person, but the way she carried herself just made her incredibly appealing to people to come to. There There was an integrity about the way she lived. Something about her was so noteworthy, so different, so remarkable that a classmate who isn't a Christian, wasn't a Christian then, still isn't a Christian, started to dub her the girl who emits light. And that could easily sound like he was making fun of her, but he wasn't. You could tell that it was something that he admired about her, that there was something about the way she carried herself, the way she entered spaces, the way she interacted with people, the way she received people, that there was just something good that flowed out of her. She was a walking, talking communicator of good news. And it changed the atmosphere in our school. It changed the atmosphere in her dorm. It changed the atmosphere in the classrooms. It changed the atmosphere in every interaction someone had with her. Friends, you and I are called to be those kinds of people. Called to be those kinds of people. Because there is darkness in lots of different places, in lots of different ways, in lots of different relationships, in lots of different situations. And you and I can bring light into those places. And when light comes to the places where there is darkness, the atmosphere changes for good. The atmosphere changes for good. In addition to sending out his followers to preach, they're also sent out with authority. The passage tells us that they are sent out with authority to confront the spiritual forces of the evil one and tell them to be gone. That's what it means when it says that they are sent out with authority to cast out demons. Throughout Jesus' life and in the accounts we have of his earliest followers, there are encounters with people who seem to be under the influence of dark spiritual forces. And when they meet Jesus, and when they meet his followers in the accounts we have of them, they change. And after those encounters, they are no longer under the influence of these dark spiritual forces. And they are sent out with that. And not only are they sent out with that, we are sent out with that. And here's another way to think about it. When Jesus sends out his followers, he sends them with the right and the ability to speak into a situation that is unseen to them. Because nowhere does it tell us that they can see any of these evil spirits. Nowhere does it tell us that they can see these demons. But they can speak into a realm that they cannot see, but whose effects They are witnessing in someone's life or in a particular situation or in a particular place. They can speak into the unseen, and in the seen, there is an effect. And where there was darkness taking over someone's life, there is no more darkness after that. There is no more darkness after that. That was true in the first century, and it's true today as well. Folks, there's a cosmic battle being waged. There is real evil. There is real darkness. You and I know that. We've experienced them. And though Jesus has won the ultimate victory on the cross, evil still fights as if it has a chance. But it has no chance. 
It has no chance, even in the places where it has claimed victory or claimed control, because you and I, like those followers in the first century, have been given, have been given the right and the ability to speak into the unseen realm and tell the darkness to go. And we see the effects of that leaving in people's lives and in the places that we're in. Jesus empowers people, you and I, to declare the victory of the kingdom of light. God has called us to declare the victory of the kingdom of light in every place, in every situation, and in every relationship where there is darkness. I want to say that again. God has called us to declare the victory of the kingdom of light in every place and in every situation and in every relationship where there is darkness. And when light comes, it dispels the darkness. The darkness cannot stand before the light. When darkness leaves a space, when darkness leaves a situation, when darkness leaves a person, the atmosphere changes. The atmosphere changes. We have spiritual power to bring that about in everyday places. The darkness may not feel extreme or intense to the degree of demons, but the darkness is there. And where there is darkness, we can bring light. We are all entrusted with the authority to dispel darkness with light, to bring about goodness, mercy, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control to the places that lack those things or, who are, or, or the places that are manifesting the opposite. And we are called to see the victory of the good. Now, some of those places may feel scary. Some of those places may, feel, may cause us to feel some apprehension. We may need to exercise some caution. We may need to exercise some wisdom. But God's victory is true in those places, even if it's not evident in the moment. Sometimes it's not evident because no one has gone there to declare the victory. No one has gone there to let the darkness know that it can't hold that place anymore. It can't hold that situation. It can't keep that ground. It can't keep that person. There is darkness in the places that we are. There is darkness in some of the situations we're in. There is darkness in some of the relationships. And God has put you there to dispel that darkness. Not because of who you are, but because God delights in partnering with people to bring about his purpose. Every story of hope, every story of transformation from our history is a story of darkness leaving and light coming. You can probably pick out one or two spots already that feel like they have some form of darkness about them. God may be calling you this year to drive it out by bringing his light. Now again, before you think that this isn't for you, before you think that you're not qualified, before you think that you're not spiritual enough, before you think that you're not knowledgeable enough, before you think that you're not brave enough, before you think that you're not blank enough, consider this. The 12 that Jesus called at this, in this passage weren't either. They were none of those things either, and yet there they were. And God used them, and God blessed them, and God empowered them. Reminds me of a scene in, even the calling of the disciples reminds me of a scene in a classic movie called The Usual Suspect. Uh, the scene is, is known as the lineup scene. 
And it's got these five current or former felons, and they're brought before a lineup, and it's a ridiculous scene. You know, and it serves the plot, because if they hadn't been brought together, then all the hijinks that ensue, it's not hijinks because it's not a comedy, all the stuff that ensues would not happen. It's necessary for the plot. But the more I think about this movie, the more I'm like, that's a ridiculous lineup. What self-respecting cop would think to gather those people in a lineup? They don't look like each other. I don't know that an ID would hold up in court. And even though what they're looking for is a voice ID, they also don't sound like each other. This is an unlikely group to bring together for any sort of purpose for what they're supposed to be there. And yet, there they are. And yet, there they are. The 12 are like that. The 12 that Jesus calls don't make sense either. Yes, they're all men, and yes, they're all Jewish from that region, but that's where the commonalities end. They are not the cream of the crop. They are different from one another. They are not the religious elite. They don't have the same job. They don't have the same background. They certainly don't have the same temperament. Among them is one who would never truly buy in to what Jesus is doing. He'll end up betraying Jesus, and yet he still gets a chance. And yet he's still called to this. And yet he's still sent out with authority because God partners with people to bring about his purpose, his power. In everyday places, in everyday situations, in everyday relationships, not because they're qualified, not because they're capable, not because they've proven themselves, not because they've earned it, but because that's what God does. We are an unlikely cast of characters, folks. For some of us, the only thing that would, that would initiate a relationship between us is the fact that we show up to this place on Sunday mornings. And yet here we are. And God has called us. God has empowered us. God has blessed us. This is the pattern. All that brings together these 12, all that brings us together maybe, is that these are the ones that Jesus wanted to call in that moment to set a pattern for history. He calls them to something deeper. And he sets a pattern that has remained true ever since. And that is that Jesus entrusts people with spiritual power because he wants people to partner with him to bring light in everyday places. Jesus entrusts us, you and I, with spiritual power, with spiritual authority, not because of who we are or what we've proven or what we're capable of, but because he wants to partner with us to bring light to everyday places. And you're the only one who's in the everyday places that you're in. You're the only one who's in the everyday relationships that you're in. You're the only one who's in the everyday situations that you're in. Guess what? I'm it, you're it, we're it. We're it. All that the 12 do in this passage is that they draw near to Jesus when he calls. They don't do anything else. All they have to do is respond with a yes. That's the call that Jesus places on all of us. That's the invitation to draw near to him that we might be sent out with authority to bring to bear spiritual power in every place we go with the way we, with the way we, we communicate and the way we bring about the light. Our world needs it. Your school needs it. Your workplace needs it. Your family needs it. You and I need it. We need it. The invitation today is to draw near. That's where we're going to start 
in this journey of bringing spiritual power to everyday places. Because that's where it starts.